the speaker. What is this? It's a recorder. Have you asked my permission? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Zechariah chapter 3. Uh, the scene is a courtroom. God is present, acting in his role as judge. Uh, Satan is the accuser, that's what his name means. He is the prosecuting uh, attorney. And in the dock, representing the people of Israel, that is the Jewish nation, is Joshua. Not the son of Nun, that was several centuries before, but he is the high priest. And he's standing there in filthy rags, really unpleasantly polluted garments. And Satan's charges are abruptly halted by God, recognising uh, that Joshua and the people were sinful, but God says, is not this a brand plucked from the fire, that is, already punished? And the angel is told to take off Joshua's smelly clothes, but he's not left naked. Rich garments are put on him, including, at Zechariah's uh, request, um, a turban. You see it there in verse 5? The word there in the Greek, Greek translation of the Old Testament is the word mitre. You know that Aaron was the first person in the Old Testament to wear a crown, and that crown was called a mitre, which is one of the reasons why some of us object very strongly to bishops wearing mitres. Uh, in the first place, they are illegal. Other vestments were legalised in the, the 1960s, but mitres weren't. Secondly, they are heretical. We have got a high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, and we don't want anybody else pretending to be a high priest. And thirdly, they look absurd. So anyway, <laughs> well, they look across between the Mikado and the Druid, don't they? So it is absolutely ridiculous. So down with mitres. But not in the Old Testament. The high priest was allowed to have one. And newly clothed, he is reinstated in high priestly garments. And Joshua is given a charge with instructions to follow uh, with a promise for the future. Um, now, there are just a few people here who have brought Bibles. And Alec Matea um, recently died. He didn't like churches to provide Bibles. He wanted people to come to church carrying a Bible so that everybody saw that. And if you brought a Bible, could you turn to 1 Peter? 1 Peter. And this is the most important passage in the New Testament, I think, about the Old Testament. 1 Peter chapter 1. the revelatory passage in Peter about the Old Testament. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to come to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. And this little paragraph tells us four things about the Old Testament. First of, it, first of all, it is supernatural because it's all about the future. Uh, secondly, it is all about the gospel. It must be. If you look at... Um, uh, verse 10, prophesied about the grace that was to come to you and about Christ, the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. So the Old Testament is about the gospel 
Uh, it is also inspired by the Spirit of Christ, verse 11, the time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ. And the Old Testament was written for us. That's what it says. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you. And some of the Old Testament writers uh, realised that. So that to Daniel, Daniel 12, was writing things down at the dictation of the angel. And he said, I don't understand what I'm writing. And the angel said, well, that's all right. It's not, you're not writing for yourself. You're writing for future generations. So one of the saddest sights today is to see the lovely old rabbi at the synagogue with his scrolls. They don't belong to him. They belong to us. That is what this passage is saying. So Zechariah that we're back in uh, is uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit. It is about the gospel and it was written for us. So the title for this study would be The Gospel According to Zechariah. And we're told first of all in Zechariah 3, if you're back there, of the three gospel blessings. And the first is pardon for sin. The desperate situation of Joshua and the children of Israel is described in two ways. First of all, um, a, as a burning stick. It's uh, there in verse uh, 2. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? And it's not a sort of expensive bit of furniture, a leg of a Queen Anne table or something from Ikea. It's just a bit of, bit of wood plucked from the fire. Uh, John Wesley always regarded himself as a brand plucked from the burden. You probably know that as a six-year-old in the uh, vicarage at Epworth, uh, it caught fire. And John Wesley was in the top floor, top, top story, and was miraculously uh, rescued. And very often he referred to himself as a brand plucked from the burning. And he got that from uh, verse 2. But when you come to think of it, burning is a horrible way to die. I don't know whether you read um, uh, the biographies of the, the reformers, the way they were burnt. And that is the, 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 the situation that Joshua was in, burning. And not only that, uh, wearing filthy clothes. So uh, Isaiah tells us that all our righteousness are as filthy rags. It's Isaiah uh, 64. Rabbi Duncan, who was called Rabbi, he was a great Christian Old Testament lecturer, but he called Rabbi because he knew the scriptures so well, said this, For 30 years I haven't done a single sinless act. Everything I touch or handle is spoilt, polluted uh, by dodgy motives. So he was recognising that he was a burning stick and wearing filthy clothes. Now, I don't know whether you've recognised this, but it's interesting that all down the years, sensitive people have recognised the indelibility of guilt. A number of people are trying to tell us these days that people aren't guilty. But actually, if you go back to the Greeks, so there's um, Aeschylus and Sophocles talking about Oedipus, feeling permanently guilty about the fact that he had murdered his father and married his mother. You come on to Shakespeare and Lady Macbeth, not all the perfumes of Arabia can wash me clean. Uh, you go to Camus. Camus um, was moving in the direction of um, Christianity, he said, um, before he was tragically killed in a car crash. He wrote a book called The Fall, and in The Fall, a character called Jean-Baptiste, Clamence was crossing uh, over the Seine uh, on a bridge, heard somebody drowning, and didn't do anything about it. And the rest of the book is the outworkings of his guilt. And again and again in modern films, 
uh, the kite runner, Amadeus Salieri, wondering whether he's guilty for Mozart's death, the million dollar baby, atonement, the lady in the van, they're all about guilt. And the sensitive people are recognizing that there is something wrong. And this is what um, uh, Zechariah is spelling out and telling us that we can be cleansed and forgiven, pardoned for sin. You know the story of uh, Martin Luther working in his study and um, Satan, this is a, a picture that he had, he pictured Satan coming in and um, wanting to spell out Luther's sins. So Luther said, sit down and write them out. So page after page, Satan wrote out all Luther's sins, page after page after page. And then Luther said, um, have you finished? But eventually he'd finished. And Luther got up with his pen and wrote over every page, the blood of Jesus cleanses me from all sin. Uh, one of the things I hated most at school was cross-country running, getting cold and uh, muddy uh, and wet, and then having the, the wonder of a sort of hot bath and a dry, warm towel and being cleansed. And that is what uh, we are offered. And it's just a reminder that the gospel must be preached in biblical categories. That is, people are guilty and there's the offer of forgiveness. And the more we're aware of that forgiveness, uh, we'll never lack joyful assurance. Uh, we won't be wanting things beyond it, in a sense, because that means so much to us. And we'll find it uh, much easier to forgive others. Uh, you know the uh, four places that um, we're told that God has put our sins? He's put them as far as the east is from the west, which is so much better than the north to the south, because that's finite. You eventually get there. East to the west, you never get there. So he's put them as far as the east is from the west. We're told that he's put them at the bottom of the sea. And some wagger said that he's put up a notice which says no fishing. And then wonderfully he's told us that he's put our sins behind his back so he can't see them. And the fourth place, put our sins on the cross when the Lord Jesus died. So we sing wonderfully, don't we? Ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. So that's the first gospel blessing, uh, pardon for sin. Uh, the second gospel blessing is more than that. It's the provision of righteousness. Because Joshua is not left naked. And just as when the prodigal son came home and the best robe was put on him, so um, we're not made righteous, but we are counted as righteous by the robe of righteousness. The way we, uh, John Chapman, I think, puts it this way, the way we uh, describe justification is to say uh, when I front up to the pearly gates and Peter says uh, Jonathan why should I let you into heaven I say Peter I've got a certificate here he says let me see it and he reads it out this is to certify that Jonathan Fletcher has fully paid the price for all his sins he says where did you get that I said it was a gift look who signed it Jesus of Nazareth and then I say to Peter I've got another certificate oh, he said let me see it this is to certify that Jonathan Fletcher has fully kept the law. Where did you get that? I said it was a gift. Look who signed it. Jesus of Nazareth. So not only has the Lord Jesus taken my sin, he has credited me with his righteousness. So that it's more than being forgiven. It's being counted righteous. Um, the, the Roman Catholic understanding is of justification by faith is that we're made righteous and they can never be sure of that so they lack assurance we want to say no we're credited with righteousness 
Um, the picture is um, of a sheet of white paper, and God can only look at things that are, are red. And when we are justified, it's as though a piece of red cellophane paper comes between God's eyes and ours. So he looks at us and sees us red and acceptable. In the meanwhile, the Holy Spirit picks up a, uh, a, a paintbrush with some red paint and begins painting us, and that's the process of sanctification. But in God's sight, uh, we are credited with Christ's righteousness. It's as though he picks up the, uh, the diary of my life and uh, he reads all the horrible things that I've said and thought and done, and he looks to the front page to see whose diary it is, and he reads Jesus of Nazareth. And then he picks up another diary which tells of thoughts that are only pure, actions that are only kind, words that are always true, and he looks to see whose diary this is, and he reads Jonathan Fletcher. He says, I am credited with Christ's righteousness. And a lot of our hymns say this, Jesus, your blood and righteousness, my beauty are, my glorious dress. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress, helpless, come to thee for grace, foul, I to the fountain fly, wash me, Saviour, or I die. Uh, be of sin the double cure, cleanse me from its guilt and power. Because the sinless Saviour died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. When we talk about the death of the Lord Jesus, two key words are substitution, taking our place, and satisfaction, satisfying God's holy wrath. So I am pardoned and my guilt is taken away. So the dear vicar of the, the church that I used to go to as an undergraduate used to say, dead is the soul that has ceased to be amazed at the love of God as seen at Calvary. Dead is the soul that has ceased to be amazed at the love of God as seen at Calvary. So there's uh, pardon, there's the provision of righteousness, and there's the prospect of heaven. We get that in verses uh, 7 onwards. Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you shall rule my house and have charge my courts, and I will give you the right of access among those who are standing there. Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are assigned. Behold, I will bring my servant the branch. So there's the forgiveness of sins, the provision of righteousness, and the prospect of heaven. And there's this idea of uh, sitting under the fig tree. You see it there, verse 10. In that day, declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbour to come under his vine, under his fig tree. And that is a picture of peace and community. Several places in the Old Testament. There's the idea of being under a fig tree. Uh, we were thinking about it a bit this morning. Uh, peace where old people uh, can, can be content little children can play in the street absolutely safe but that's in the future uh, in this world uh, we're going to need armed forces we're going to need policemen we're going to need lawyers, doctors, traffic wardens I'm afraid we're going to have all those uh, but one day they will be removed and incidentally we've just got to be careful that we don't give people false uh, assurances about the present otherwise they'll be disillusioned this is why the prosperity gospel is doing such tremendous damage in certain parts of the world. Promising here and now uh, health. No, there is healing. There's healing. My, hus my uh, nephew's um, 
wife developed a brain tumour. Uh, our brain surgeon got in touch with the um, brain surgeon at Addenbrooke's Hospital and then said, look, rang me up and said, do you want me to come around? It's bad news. Um, and no, uh, so we've got about three months to live. Well, that was 16 years ago. Um, and um, she's been wonderfully healed. And um, Andy Palmer's father book was one that people actually gave to people as they were asking about it. Uh, so there are healings, but we're not promised that. Similarly, there was a time when we people promised um, holiness. You can be f free from all sin. No, there's going to be a battle. And similarly, prosperity. Uh, some of you remember that s some books came out. One was entitled Power Evangelism. Another was uh, uh, entitled Power Healing. And we were expecting him to write a book on guidance called Power Steering. That never came out there. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the, the gospel blessings, uh, pardon for sin, uh, the provision of righteousness, and the prospect of heaven. And we need to go on preaching the gospel to ourselves. And also in many cases, not all cases, in many cases, when it comes to counselling, it is going to be the gospel that uh, heals and helps people. Gospel blessings. Uh, more briefly, the gospel agent, verse 8. Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are assigned. Behold, I'll bring my servant the branch or behold, on the stone that I have set before Joshua, on a single stone with seven eyes, I will engrave its inscription, declares the Lord of hosts. Uh, the branch is very strange, isn't it? Uh, the branch is referred to in Jeremiah 23, uh, the branch of David, which of course is the great theme of Matthew's Gospel. Jesus comes as the fulfilment of the messianic promises that there's going to be a, a son of David. In Zechariah 3 here, it's the branch that saves, because that's the great thrust of Mark's gospel, the suffering servant who comes to save. In Zechariah chapter 6, it's uh, the branch for the world, the great emphasis of uh, Luke's gospel, comes to be the saviour of the world. And in Isaiah chapter 4, it's the, savior, uh, it's the branch of the Lord. Uh, that's the great theme of John's gospel. Uh, so it's strange to us, but there's someone coming who's going to be all that. And also a stone. You see it there in verse 9. And that's taken up in um, uh, 1 Peter. So I said, as I said, um, it's in shadows. It's impressionistic. But it's pointing to the Lord Jesus. And then suddenly, did you notice it? At the end of verse 9. I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. There's going to be one day when it's all going to be removed. They might initially have thought that that was going to be the Day of Atonement, but we actually know it was Good First Good Friday. Till recently, you know, Good Friday was the one particular day that was actually on all our pillar boxes. Um, the, the, the times of collections, bank holidays, Sundays, and Good Friday. I think it's no longer the case, but Good Friday uh, was mentioned. And on the first Good Friday, all the polluted garments the filth and the excrement, the stench-ridden clothes were all heaped on the Lord Jesus. So if you ask which day in the world's history God saw most sin on earth, whether it was Auschwitz or Killing Fields or the Gulag or Rwanda, no, it was the first Good Friday. And all that filth was laid on Jesus. And he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The father had to avert his gaze as he saw the filth of Moses and David 
and Jacob and Rahab and Ruth and Zechariah and Haggai of Peter of Mary of James of the Lord's mother of Tyndale Luther now Cromwell Bunyan John Stott Jonathan Fletcher all heaped on the Lord Jesus on a single day dealt with so the gospel blessings pardon for sin the provision of righteousness the prospect of heaven the gospel agent the dear Lord Jesus and then the gospel demands uh, back to verse 6 after after the cleansing after the robe of righteousness that cannot be earned after that's been given what does it say verse 6 and the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua thus says the Lord of hosts if you will walk in my ways and keep my charge then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts and I'll give you the right of access among those who are standing hear now O Joshua the high priest you and your friends who sit before you for the men who are assigned hold I'll bring my servant the branch so we're to walk in his ways we are to keep his commandments uh, if we're those who've uh, entered uh, into the terrific privilege of knowing our sins are forgiven and that we're going to heaven and we've been provision, be given the provision of righteousness I must have done with uh, cheating on my tax returns or fiddling expenses or falsifying the value of my property uh, fornication and adultery bearing a grudge, refusing to forgive grumpiness, divisiveness and very often sins begin little and blind and grow and they can not only be moral things but theological sins and as one gets older very often they are sins of omission giving piddling amounts to gospel work with a feeble prayer life minimal hospitality no evangelistic zeal and positively there's so much to be done if we're to keep his commandments the humility that accepts criticism and is able to laugh at itself constantly saying thank you I don't know whether you've noticed that that in many ways gratitude is the high mark of spirituality it's greater than and higher than praise if I praise you I'm saying that's terrific if I thank you I'm acknowledging my indebtedness to you uh, 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 and that's higher and gratitude is so important because it's the, the secret of humility the proud person doesn't bother to say thank you and it's the secret of joy very difficult to be grumbling if you're grateful so gratitude is tremendously important courage and compassionate compassion got the name in my notes of someone who was um, a great sportsman I think he's still in wisdom as having scored the fastest uh, opening century of minor county cricket um, he uh, got a first in classics at Cambridge he was headmaster of uh, two schools uh, when he retired he got a further degree in maths from the Open University and it was said of him uh, he was a great Christian man it was said of him his life could bear inspection at every point on the sports field at work as a, a student as a headmaster and uh, uh, in the home and in his family his life could bear inspection at every point don't think that's a terrific accolade to give to somebody and that is what uh, Zechariah is uh, reporting the angel is saying this is what is expected of us so gospel blessings pardon as the uh, filthy robes are, are taken away a provision of righteousness so he sees me clothed in righteousness divine, the, the purity and sinlessness of the Lord Jesus. The prospect of heaven, where we're going. 
the gospel agent, the dear Lord Jesus. On a single day, on a single day, the gospel demands holy living. This is the gospel according to Zechariah. Let's pray. Father, once again we want to thank you for the marvellous way the Old Testament uh, foreshadows and begins to spell out the wonders of the gospel. And we thank you again for the gospel <coughs> blessings. Pray that they will mean more and more to us. Pray that uh, it will be true of us, that uh, we uh, never cease to be amazed at the love of the Lord Jesus as seen at Calvary, taking the filth of our sin and giving us his righteousness. So we praise you for that single day, that first Good Friday. And we would ask that as a result of that, in gratitude for what you've done for us through the Lord Jesus Christ, our lives will be marked by holy living and that our lives will be able to bear inspection at every point. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Amen.